to Expounded Universe, Season 11, Episode 2. You can Gantor this, or you can Gantor that. The book, Jedi Search. The year, 1994, Chapters 3 through 5. The author, Kevin Janderson. With your hosts, Jeff and John, let's go! everybody let's do some expounded universe i'm jeff and that's john yay yeah and uh on this episode of expounded universe we're going to be taking our second look at uh kevin janderson's jedi search but before we get into that john how are you oh i'm a little bit teapot i'm a little teapot (laughs) (laughs) sorry i would have said something more insulting or funnier but uh, 99% of my interaction from day to day is with a two-year-old. <laughs> Indeed. So if it's not a nursery rhyme or something that Zoe said, I don't know. <laughs> I just don't have a clue. Mm-hmm. I mean, I could have gone with any number of insulting things instead. Yeah. You could have been like, you're a little bitch. Yeah. Or I'm a little fat girl from that one John Maloney sketch that I am a fan of. <laughs> good that i shouldn't be saying that i am a fan of of a single john maloney sketch i celebrate most of his catalog indeed the entire oeuvre. yeah except for the show um maloney i don't think that was very good or last maloney get in yeah. here get in here <laughs> you wrecked 20 cars <laughs> well that's now i'm trying to st- <laughs> yeah so say, how would he respond to that uh, sorry. <laughs> Please take it up with my short Jewish wife. That's who... my wife. <laughs> and she features prominently in this stand-up routine. <laughs> okay, so <laughs> you're doing okay? Uh, I'm a little, I'm a little queasy, but I'm here and I'm ready. I understand. I, I think it, I'm finally starting to, to like falter a little bit under the pandemic pressure i just can't get enough sleep now oh yeah no that's a thing i don't know what i'll go to bed at nine and wake up at seven thirty, and it feels like that ought to be enough sleep i mean that's like 13 hours but it's not enough sleep it's never enough sleep i don't know what's happening our bodies are disintegrating yeah it must be soon i'll sleep forever <laughs> soon i will sleep the sleep that only the dead can know. But until oh, man. then, won't that be won't that be nice? Because then we won't have to read any Star Wars books. <laughs> uh, I was talking to you before we uh, started recording, and I mean, the first chapter that we get into here is going immediately to Leia, and she is yeah. just sort of hanging out in her room. And God, I had forgotten how fucking plotting and boring these books for adults are. Yeah, ultimately, what we made a mistake last week in that we decided to make the first week the two-chapter week, and that left us with one awkward chunk of of, uh, introductory chapter still floating around like an unremoved foreskin. 
Uh, and that's the Leia chapter where it's just like, oh, I'm Leia. I'm an ambassador. My husband is Han Solo. I have three kids. And that's my thing. Although I got to say, yeah. it's once again a thing where I just, I find it really hard to sympathize with Leia a lot of the time. Because oh, I know. we I had know. this same thing in the, uh, what was it? The Crystal Star. The Crystal it's, Star. It's yeah, yes. I, without even I, I know exactly what you're talking about without without having pre-discussed this. Yes, I'm glad that you were right there with me. Where it's like, uh, I don't like being an ambassador. She said in her giant palatial estate, taking a vibro bath. Yeah, yeah, basically. I and again, this is a weird period in her life. Uh, we a lot of the introductory chapters of this book, and I think it's because if if Jay Anderson was one thing above any of the other authors, he is willing to play ball with the other people's characters and storylines. So throughout these first three chapters, he is constantly dropping references to the Thrawn trilogy, uh, to the Truce at Bakura book, and to the Dark Empire comic books. Uh, so she's saying, oh, I have three kids, but I haven't seen them in months, even though one of them is four months old and the other are, the other two are two. I never get to see them because we put them on a hidden secret planet for security reasons. Yeah, they hang and out all day with my lookalike nanny spy and I get to see them only very infrequently. Yeah, I I find this fascinating because of this book, they've decided to do this, like, hide them away thing where they have to live on a secret planet. But by Crystal Star, the kids are just five and three, and they're like her permanent RV traveling companions who just go wandering around on loose, unaffiliated planets. Well, yeah, she talks about how, like, oh, well, Luke said that, like, the first years of a young Force user's life are so crucial because any sort of dark side influence could permanently fuck with them and you're like wait a minute <laughs> <laughs> so we we packaged them up and threw them to the planet agnoth or whatever it was yeah so where... what we did was we decided to take them away from their mother and just shove them into a secret planet somewhere that ought to keep them good and happy uh-huh and then she has a little button she can press on one of the many expensive things in her palatial emperor's former apartment where uh, it shows hollows of recent stuff that the kids were up to. And it says that they're, they're it just shows the two year olds playing on playground artifacts and uh, Anakin smiling and looking off into the distance. Uh, but yeah, basically, she's had a hard day of talking with ambassadors about ambassador stuff. She's complaining that Mon Mothma is giving her way too much to do uh, and that she really wishes she could just quit. And while all the time she's doing this, she's kind of walking around her Nora Ephron style giant white kitchen <laughs> and looking at her three million dollar black market photographs of uh, Alderaan, which I don't understand that one where where she has this collection, like a photo series of Alderaanian landscapes. And they make a big deal of saying that Han managed to get them and has been unwilling to divulge where he got them or how or how much he spent on them or anything. And I'm like, how expensive? They're photos. They're they're endlessly reproducible. If they're not, then you're being a total asshole by keeping them hidden away in your own rich ass apartment. Yeah. How bougie could you get? Oh, we apparently no one ever decided to, you know, hold on to any pictures of Alderaan. These are the only ones that remain and they're mine. Go fuck yourself, everyone else. 
Yeah, there certainly weren't any other survivors of Alderaan. Certainly not Garmbel Iblis or Zack and Tash or Randa or any number of other people who would also benefit from little reminders of home. Yeah, you know, the entire delegation that lives on the planet that Han won. Right. Speaking of Han, she is uh, she he, she has an inner monologue going through this whole chapter. Uh, and one of the parts is, and I've sent Han off to reestablish open di- uh, diplomatic communications with Kessel, but I feel like he's not even really doing that. He's just reconnecting with his youth by pretending to be a gallivanting space criminal again. And I gotta say, John, that's been Han's plot in every book we've read that has Han in it. I mean, it's weird, but yes, every single time they're like, Han has to go do literally anything, and everyone's reaction to it is, oh, he's just fucking around. <laughs> I mean, I kind of get it, because they always are like, hey man, you're a diplomat, can you co- go please do diplomat stuff? And he's like, oh yeah, you got it, I'll take my Wookiee and my Millennium Falcon, and I will take nothing else, and I will not run diplomatic codes or anything. Hmm. Because, you know, that's how the movies were, so that makes the most sense. I think we can all agree to that. Yeah, obviously. <laughs> uh, the nice thing about this, this this dumb insistence that every time Han goes anywhere, he's just doing a whole let boys be boys thing, is that he can usually go missing for three or four days before anyone gets worried about it. Yeah, everyone's just like, oh, he's probably off getting drunk and playing Sabacc somewhere. Oh, that Han. He was supposed to check in with me two days ago, and he didn't. Now, if he was any actual diplomat, I'd be legitimately concerned. But he's Han, so I don't give a shit. (laughs) Uh. He's the only diplomat that's my husband. (laughs) So, yeah, she's taking a... A massage, a massage shower. Uh, she gets into a vibro shower and lets it like unknot all of her muscles. And we actually get mentions throughout this chapter of how expensive everything is in here. Um, <laughs> so, so yeah. If if your interest in Leia is, I sure do like it when rich ladies wear a lot of white. Then, good news, this book's got that for you. Yeah, uh, it's any- just unfortunate that you know you go from the movies. And you're like, oh boy, it's great watching Leia do stuff because, you know, she's got to balance like this whole war and like trying to keep people together and all this nonsense. But then you get into these books and they really just decided, oh, well, she's an ambassador now and we don't have any good ideas for that. (laughs) Well, it's a couple of things, right? I mean... They In a lot of the books, they lean super heavily on the princess element of the whole thing, where she's accustomed to a certain life of luxury and therefore doesn't seem to feel any kind of shame or uh, commonality with the people that she has liberated, uh, even though she used to be, like, from the age of 16, she was a guerrilla mercenary. Mm-hmm. And and I think the people who write the books have a strong tendency to forget that. This is the woman who put on a, you know, a, a camo trench coat and made peace with the teddy bear people of Teddy Bear Planet. Uh, they, they all, everyone seems to like to write her as if she has never changed from the five-minute appearance she did at Cloud City. Huh. Yeah, uh, no, when, when they basically have her be like, I'm going to slip into a vibro bath, light some scented candles, and then I'm going to put on my silk robe and 
wander around my giant estate. Oh, woe is me. And you're like, what? Why is this yeah. the story you're telling us? <laughs> yeah, like I, the, the thing I keep thinking of is that it's rare that an author remembers the other side of Princess Leia. The the side that got so mad when someone forced her into a metal bikini that they that she strangled them to death. And I mean, even when in this chapter, Luke shows up to be like, hey, you forgot we got to do Jedi training. Like, she responds to any setback with, well, maybe fuck Jedi training. You ever think about that? <laughs> yeah, yeah, because he pops in and... Just like uh, happened in the Thrawn novels, uh, Luke believes that Leia has strong Jedi potential, and of course, it's because she does, because in all of these novels, Jedi skills are dynastically uh, transmitted. Uh, So he shows up to train her because God knows there need to be more Jedi, uh, but she's like, "Uh, I don't want to be a Jedi. I'm an ambassador. Have you ever considered that that's the path I should choose? Plus, I have these kids I'm not raising. Look, Luke, it's all just too much. (laughs) Look, How I already have one job cost? I don't like. Here's $5. Go see a Star War. <laughs> How much could a banana cost? $10? <laughs> yeah. So, but Luke insists and starts training her. And we get a little description of how when uh, Han gave her the gift of all those those photo prints of Alderaan, she tried to do the same thing for him by buying him... Uh, a Corellian bit of statuary and she screwed up because she's probably just too bougie not to. And she bought him like the equivalent of a Bob's big boy mascot. Oh yeah. From Corellia. Just so st- straight up was like, Hey, I got you this Corellian statue that has significant cultural importance for people from Corellia. And Han's just like, that's great. You gave me a statue of Ronald McDonald. Thank you very much. <laughs> he's the he's the space burglar. He burgles your space burgers. Huh. Uh, but she's kept... Of course, they've kept it around anyway, because even though it's a kitschy, cheap piece of junk from Corellia, and even though, as we could probably go back into, it's not like Han's Corellia got blown up or anything, or even that he's banned from it. So the yeah. significance of the gift is a little different. It's weird to me that she would be like, oh, this this merchant really swindled me. I'm like, yo, Corellia isn't like a secret far off world that no one has had contact with. You could go ahead and like look on a hollow or something and be like, yo, what's up with Corellian culture and shit? And then find right. something. I mean, ultimately, the big difference is that it wasn't destroyed. Technically, Corellia was under heavy imperial occupation, and is when it shakes itself off from the yoke of imperial occupation, it immediately declares its independence from any large body. Because Corellia is a star system, and it's got five independent planets and a huge independent navy and police force. Uh, but still, it's not like it's not known information. Yeah, no. This isn't like, oh, what a weird far-off planet that only is in, like, the Outer Rim, and no one goes there. You're like, no, this is a major fucking star system. Yeah, when it comes down to it, if you were to to convert where everybody's from into, uh, like, the the world, then Luke would be from, like, the worst part of t- eastern Texas, and Han would be from, like, Chicago or Detroit. That's what, that's what Corellia is. Hmm. And I guess Leia would be from part of the world that was super expensive and got destroyed. 
Uh, I don't know what that would be. The, the... New York in every disaster movie? There you go. Perfect. New York <laughs> and or Los Angeles in anything Roland Emmerich did. <laughs> okay, so <sighs> Luke is teaching her how to levitate the little Bob's big boy figurine, the, the, spa- the, the Space McDonald. And she gets frustrated when it keeps clattering over, and she's like, I don't even think I want to be a Jedi. Uh, this is hard. And I know I, I, really I saw Luke- you get all fucked up being a Jedi, so I don't know if I want to be one. That's true. She does actually like kind of lean into him for this. She's like, look, Luke, the shit you've done is stupid. I don't want to do any of that shit. You had to kill your own father. Incidentally, you had to kill my father. You had to kill your own clone, and you had to kill a clone of the Emperor, and just it goes on like this. You keep having to kill clones and dads. It's not cool. <laughs> clones and dads. <laughs> I don't really want to do any of those things. And I, I really, it, at a certain point, I wanted Luke to either say, you know, well, hopefully there's not a Leia clone out there or, you know, more of our dad. Uh, <laughs> but also just for him to kind of look upwards and talk to Obi-Wan for a second and be like, yeah, you're right. She's too old to train. What? <laughs> I mean, she's already 10 years older than I was when Yoda said I was too old to train. Well, yeah, I mean, and it's, I mean, it's true. She's very much like, look, I'm already set in what I want to do. I very barely have an open mind about this Jedi thing. It's probably not the best thing to train me. This is cute and all, but I want to wear big white turtlenecks and basically do everything that Diane Keaton did in the Diane Keaton later years. (laughs) So if you could just... You know, shove along or send in a Bet Midler or something. We can make this work. <laughs> send in uh, the so next Luke- Midler. <laughs> so it looks like, hey, okay, maybe you don't need to learn how to levitate stuff, but can we at least work on mental defenses so no one can, no Sith user can come in here and pull the location of your kids out of your head? Yeah, I mean, it, he's like, look, uh, if you're not going to learn any active stuff, at least let me, I don't know, give you defense against the dark arts. <laughs> I'm going to be the defense against the dark arts teacher. That never goes bad for anyone. Oh, no, my petard. Oh, I've been hoisted by it, by the writings of some turf shit face. Sorry, has to happen every time. Every Tim. Mm-hmm. Uh, so he starts trying to probe her brain to, like, pull her surface thoughts up, because apparently that's a that's a thing that he can do as Jedi. He can just sort of reach into people's brains and pull out info. Uh, so he starts doing that to her, but she is surprisingly adept at this. This is probably where her Jedi skills are at their sharpest is just generic mental defense. Yeah, I feel like it's, that's probably a lot easier for being like, oh, this is a defensive like reaction to something rather than a proactive affecting the outside universe. So someone that hadn't really been inundated and taught in the whole Jedi thing probably would have an easier time of being like, Oh, I can understand like the idea of making things not be in my head. Also, it makes sense for her personality. I mean, she has spent a lot more time being sort of a cerebral focused and like a diplomatic person who has to keep secrets and so on. So it, it makes a lot of sense that her natural talent would bend that way. But eventually what happens is Luke manages while probing to find a ancient childhood nubbin of her brain where they're all of her animal instincts are kept apparently. And when he reaches for it, she basically sends out some sort of super defense and blasts him backwards a couple of feet. Yeah, there is (laughs) apparently a 
part of the brain that is the like the force nubbin and if you try and rub it you get kicked back without consciously trying to do it like he the jokes i want to make and yet i don't want to make them oh i know so he's the like, that every time I try, and, <laughs> I try and rub your nubbin, you push me away. Hey, try and rub my nubbin. Look, all I did was dig around in my sister till I found her nub. That's not gross or anything, right? Uh, and when I did, oh my gosh, the reaction was electric. <laughs> and then I invited her to go search for my nub. <laughs> okay, now you do me. <laughs> and it turns out that he also has a strongly reactive brain nubbin. Yeah. Just sort and of an unconscious th- reflex to anyone attempting to probe that area. Mm-hmm. Uh, and he's like, hey, that's useful. If if you can do it and I can do it, then it's probably because we's Jedi's. We is. And I bet regular people don't work that way based on absolutely no research. <laughs> based on a sample size of two people... I believe I have made a discovery. <laughs> and this is great because this this book's about Luke having to go out and find Jedi. Like, that's the whole point of this book. And then the next couple books are going to be about the consequences of having found a bunch of untrained Jedi. Uh, but in this one, he's like, I got to go on a Jedi search. Thus the title. Therefore, I need a way to determine who is and who is not a Jedi. Oh, good. I got it done in chapter three. And then also again in chapter four. (laughs) That is my favorite thing is they set up like, oh, he finally, you know, he's got a way to do it. He's discovered the secret of being able to find out if someone's a Jedi. And then next chapter, they're like, also, there's this doodad you can use. (laughs) Here's another one. I mean, I know what the doodad is for. It's so we can send two teams of people out on Jedi searches. Well, yeah, you can Uh, send a non-Jedi to go look for Jedi. Exactly. Uh, but we might as well talk about that, because it's a chance to check in with what's going on with Wedge Antilles, of all people. Wedge Antilles, general for the <laughs> New Republic, is currently in charge of a construction crew for some fucking reason. We almost never get to see this guy, and I feel like whoever wants to write about him just immediately makes up a new rank. Because I'm pretty sure he's the star of those, like, X-Wing squadron books as well, and he's just the guy in charge of an X-Wing squadron, so I don't think he keeps this rank. I mean, I feel like those X-Wing books were before this. Are they? I guess they could be. I mean, I know they have Corrin Horn in them at one point or another, and they do tend to take place on and around Coruscant. Yeah, I don't know. I have no idea when they take take place in relation. But yeah, he's a general now, and as a general, it's his job to survey a cleanup robot. But, you know, a really big one. Yeah, there is a super huge droid who basically just, like, walks through the destroyed parts of town because of the big fighting on Coruscant and just, Mm -hmm. like, munches buildings and, like, very slowly steps through rubble and eats it and craps out usable materials behind it. Yeah, so it's leaving big piles of girders and construction equipment. Unlike the equivalent Empire super weapons, this thing doesn't leave behind fully constructed Empire buildings in its wake. Uh, just useful tools. Yeah. Like, you could take uh, these his- to build new buildings and whatnot, but it's not like, oh, I ate an old crappy building and farted out a new one. Yeah. 
And this thing is unimaginably vast. It's big enough to basically just sort of walk around tearing down skyscrapers and so on. And it's got kind of a neat description. I mean, it's like, oh, this thing has hundreds of arms, and each one of them is tipped with different construction tools, and it's full of conveyor belts, and it gets furnace hot inside it because it's melting all the stuff down into other stuff. And I, I actually did appreciate the part where he was like, I don't want to ever turn the droid off because it takes three days to turn it back on. Oh, yeah. Once you shut it off... It has all of these fucking procedures it needs to go down to shut off, and then you have to go through them again to turn it back on. And it's like, oh, this whole thing would be a pain in the ass if it had to shut off. So his primary job is to uh, control a group of teams, some of whom are maintaining the robot, and others of whom are surveying ahead of where the robot is going to try and clean out feral people who live in the uh in the narrow canyons that are the floors of Coruscant. Yeah, we've got some like feral albino mutants that live in the dark recesses of Coruscant. So Yeah, and I guess and, we got uh, some you, I am legend shit going on down there. Oh yeah, to the point where he's like half the people we find aren't even human anymore. And I'd be like, I feel like half the people you find shouldn't have been human in the first place, buddy. You live in Star Wars. <laughs> you live in a Star War. <laughs> uh, but, you know, apparently humans who have been living in the canyons of the of the buildings of Coruscant have all kind of turned into Morlocks. And we get some cool evocative descriptions of what the canyon floors are like. Everything's like two foot high mushrooms and, and it smells like melting garbage everywhere. And there's monsters everywhere. And you can't and no one has a bathroom that's not for customers. <laughs> That's right. Mm-hmm. So, huh, so he's basically just sort of doing some busy work with the team and telling people who to, where to go and what to do when the robot has a problem. Yeah, it goes to demolish a building in front of it so it has, like, one of its big wrecking ball arms slam into the building, and then it goes to, you know, like, walk into it because it's just going to sort of shove all of its rubble and whatnot into its furnace belly but mm -hmm. it turns out there is a reinforced bunker in there and it's just like hard metal and instead of being able to walk through a building like it thought it was going to it almost tips right over yeah it basically bangs into a big metal thing and then it's like whoa, whoa, whoa. but uh luckily given that if this thing falls over it would take forever to fix it and it would level several city blocks Mahoney! Uh, it, it is designed not to fall down, which, you know, thank goodness. Yeah. So no, it will weeble it, and it will wobble, though. <laughs> yes, it's designed to weeble and wobble. Uh, <laughs> but it can't get knocked down because it would be hard for it to get back up again. So you never can knock this thing down. There you go. Mm hmm. Both jokes. <laughs> Good. Uh, okay, so it combines several hundred of its arms on one side into one super arm and uses that to ride itself. And then Wedge shuts it down. And he doesn't remember the code to shut it down, because apparently you need a seven-digit code to shut this thing down. But luckily, some random person behind him yells the code out for him to remember it. Yeah. And I mean, he's that, got that a second where he's like, do I really want to do this? Like, I know that sometimes we'll find some weird artifact things in here where like the empire was keeping some garbage but god i don't want to turn this thing off 
I just I thought it was hilarious that they had to introduce a character who has no other lines of any kind, whose name is just intern, and who shouts out the the combination just so that we can have an extra couple of paragraphs, and also so we can work in a classic George Lucas in joke, hmm. because because the uh, the password that he yells out is thx eleven thirty eight minus one on each thing, so it's you know the sgw zero zero two seven. Great. So great. Good job. It's another. It, it's a classic reference to THX eleven thirty eight. You gotta love when those happen, especially when they're shoehorned in by adding brand new characters just to say them. It's weird because you could have just had a wedge say it. And oh yet. yeah, or you could have had him just say THX eleven thirty eight because you know why not wear your old references on your sleeve? Lord knows this is the eleventh season, and I've read I have a bad feeling about this thirteen times. Huh? Huh? So I don't I I see no reason to hide it. I guess it's cute. Uh so they shut the robot down and Wedge goes into the ruins and is immediately attacked by a giant monster and I was taken aback by the fact that when he turned a corner and a giant monster leaped out the chapter didn't immediately end. Oh right because we're not reading books for 10-year-olds anymore. I was like, "Oh, I imagined that you'd just leave me on a cliffhanger, and then, you know, it would say that it was a cute puppy on the next chapter. <laughs> no, it's Mammon Hool. Ah, that's what you get for sneaking into my private things, Wedge Antilles. Okay, <laughs> goodbye. I'm in this book now. I'm a Shido. We do this. But no, uh, it's, a, no. it's a giant rat mutant. Yeah, it's a big mutant rat, and amusingly, it is dispatched in, in, in the time it takes to turn the page. This oh, yeah. is not an actual book threat. This is just sort of a neat thing that, that got thrown in for fun. Yeah, he gets, like, super scared and falls back, and his entire team just unloads into this thing. Mm-hmm. Murders it immediately, and it collapses to the ground. And then he gets back up, and he's like, huh, must be some sort of venom from cancer infested rats or something and, and sure enough yeah it's just a big mutant rat that was defending its home inside of this secret bunker thing yeah unfortunately when the robot hit the building some rubble collapsed and killed its young and it was very angry about that right yeah honestly i still can't get over how cavalier this whole thing is we introduce a big crazy monster we kill it immediately then we go on to tell everybody that it's young got killed immediately and then by the next time we see wedge she's like oh by the way another one showed up and tore up the place real good too and then we also killed that one <laughs> also uh some random scavenger things came out in the middle of the night and ate all the meat off of the one that we killed so uh i guess sorry xenobiologists You'd think sorry xenobiologists would, would cut it because another one showed up and they had to kill that one too. So there's probably an extra steaming corpse around. Ooh, it's extra steaming. Yeah, it's double steamy. It recently read a romance novel. Uh, but, uh, uh, so, so apparently these mutant rat things are rendered extinct over the course of about three pages of this book. Yeah, good for them. <laughs> and what has Wedge discovered? Why, a secret Imperial interrogation center. Indeed. So uh, Luke and Leia and uh, Akbar show up the next day and are like, hey, what you got here? And that is when Luke finds the Jedi scanning MacGuffin. Yep, he finds a couple of sheets of crystal that have, like, 
basically what he finds is one of those paddle systems that you can, the, like uh, defibrillators. He finds a set of, of magic defibrillators that can be used to determine whether or not someone is a Jedi. It's just like, I mean, basically the way I read it is, it is a crystal iPad that puts out a little scanner and then it gives you a wireframe hologram of the person you scanned. And if they've got an aura, they're a Jedi. And if they don't, they are not. Yeah. And the description of it is, yeah, it's like it's like these two pads that are made of sheety crystal and you have to roll them both over a person on either side of them. And that like like you're checking them for metal and it determines whether or not they're a Jedi. And he's like, perfect. This thing will tell me whether or not people are Jedi. How coincidental that it, right after I announced my plan to look for Jedi, I found two ways to look for them. Yeah. Oh, while I'm here. Hey, Wedge, you mind if I uh, dig around and look for your nubbin? I love that part. Han, hey, hey, Wedge, I'm gonna I'm gonna reach into you and find your nubbin real quick, okay? Uh, I'm gonna find your wedge spot. I, I love that Luke hadn't thought to try this on anybody else yet, and he was like, "Well, where's the best type place for me to test the thing that could violently and physically throw me backwards?" Oh, I know, into a big pile of broken old Imperial parts and crystals and Imperial droid technology. I, I definitely think this is the right place to just randomly try this on Wedge and then Akbar. Yeah, and it doesn't do anything. So hooray. He has I'm indeed honestly, confirmed that he has two different ways to find Jedi. I'm honestly a little disappointed that he didn't determine that Akbar has some force sensitivity. <laughs> Just tries to do it to Akbar, gets thrown back super far, and Akbar's like, Yeah, didn't you know? I'm a fucking Jedi master. Get the fuck out of here. How do you think I always notice traps right away, Luke, you moron? I'm so psychic. <laughs> I've got future sense, trap specific. I have a plus three specialty in traps. Uh. Well, anyway, this means that Luke now has the tools to go off on a Jedi hunt, and presumably the tools to send someone else on a Jedi hunt too. Indeed. Although he doesn't, he doesn't do that yet here. Now, first we gotta go. Uh, after this, we check in. With Han, who has managed to survive a crash landing onto Kessel. Mm-hmm. And he is, ooh, super fucked up. Yeah, he's got a lot of broken bones, and he's coughing up blood. And he doesn't feel good at all. Uh, he rises barely out of consciousness, checks to see Chewie. Chewie is in even worse shape. Yeah, Chewie also bloody matted fur, can barely even, like, make a sound and mm -hmm. that's when they notice that, like, someone is breaking into the Falcon, and Han's like, man, it would be great if I could, like, even move to lift a blaster, but boy howdy, even looking in the direction that these people are is difficult. Yeah, and uh, then someone comes tromping into their cockpit. Oh, by the way, Han makes a point of noting that he was not wearing his seatbelt when he crashed his spaceship onto a planet. Yeah. <laughs> I... <laughs> I feel like you would be dead then. I'm pretty sure it's just inertial dampers, John. Just like in Star Trek, he probably waved back and forth a bunch while sparks flew. Probably. And yeah. he had a as name, so the sparks didn't kill him. <laughs> well, you know, as long as it wasn't his console in particular that erupted into a shower of sparks. That is my favorite trope in Star Trek, that <laughs> that when, when shit hits the outside of the ship, sometimes it causes a chain reaction that makes your console kill you. Yeah, we've, we've loaded up these consoles with so many explosives for some reason. <laughs> 
it's like if you were playing <laughs> like if you were playing some game in an arcade in a mall and then a car hit the side of the mall and the arcade game blew up and killed you. <laughs> but anyway, um a dude comes tromping in and levels a gun that will never not be described to us as illegal. Every time this gun gets a mention, it's an illegally modified double blaster. Oh my, how illegal. Oh, on on uh, Coruscant, he would have already been arrested for his simple at-home technology that he used to turn one gun into two guns. <laughs> you are I'm now sure- under arrest for duct tape. <laughs> I mean, I'm fairly certain this is just a blaster with two barrels. Yeah, this is the double barrel. Yeah. Uh, but this guy is Skinksnacks. Sure. And Han has heard of him before. Yeah. Skinksnacks is an old contact of his on Kessel from when he would do spice runs because... Uh, Morith Morith Duel? Morith Duel. Morith Duel was like a corrupt official that ran the prison that would like skim some off the top for the spice mines and then sell it off for his own profit. And uh, Skinksnex was one of his lackeys that Han would sometimes go through. Yes. Uh, Skinksnax is excited to see Han because he's mad at him for some reason. So he's already got the blaster pointed at him. And he's like, ah, Han, good. We were hoping you'd survive because now we're going to do all kinds of horrible shit to you. Yeah, you're going to wish better. you didn't. Yeah. And Han's just like, what the fuck? Why is Skinksnax mad at me? I left this place on reasonably good terms. I thought they betrayed me. Yeah. He's like, I assumed that when I took off and then like Imperial trade ships showed up to search me immediately from where I was going to leave that I had been sold out by them. Why would they be pissed at me? Right. Um, also he gets consistent next. This is get, gets consistently described as looking like a terrifying gangly scarecrow. Yeah. It's like, Oh, he's got a long neck and long arms and he's super spooky looking. He's a scarecrow. Yeah, I googled him, and he looks like if Fred Gwynn owned an ice cream truck. <laughs> I mean, he, right down to the white collared shirt that's buttoned up too high. I mean, the the real problem I have is they made it so that his head was slightly taller, but I was like, mm-hmm. but that wasn't even part of the description. It was a long neck, not a long head. Yeah, this is a, it's a very weird conflux. Uh, but yeah, that, he doesn't look anything like the book said he did. Maybe that's just because there's only like one picture of him. Uh, but yeah, he he conks Han on the noggin to send him off to unconscious land. Indeed. And then and then Han and Chewie wake up on operating beds with a a mean medical droid. Yeah, someone programmed this medical droid specifically to be an asshole. <laughs> Yeah, so Han wakes up, and there's a medical droid waving a bunch of blades and shit at him, and the droid immediately is like, cease your thermal convulsions, because I guess droids can't be programmed to know what shivering is as a word. Uh, So, cease your thermal uh, convulsions. I am not programmed for anesthesia or mercy. I will now perform medicine, and you will not enjoy it. (laughs) Yeah, this is going to hurt. Please thrash as little as possible, or it will be more painful. I mean, I guess it feels like if your your whole thing is and, you know, spoiler alert, this place is a labor camp now. I feel like having a lot of your guys die to just 
unnecessary medical malpractice is wildly unnecessary. Well, I mean, this was the prison medical droid. And I'm like, okay, so, you know, Empire's prison, I assume they just didn't give a shit. But, like, you would have to go out of your way to be like, hey, I need one of the stock medical droids. And I know it comes with programming for bedside matter and how to, you know, be a decent doctor. If we could wipe that and make him just the biggest asshole. <laughs> also, now I need like two droids because obviously there's Imperials that work here and we're not going to send when they get boo-boos, we're not going to send them to the murder droid. Yeah, I need a couple of, you know, droids for prisoners that are jerks and then a couple of normal droids for the people who run the place. Well, that's just twice as expensive. In fact, it's more than twice as expensive because you've requested that two of the droids be turned into custom asshole droids? Indeed. <laughs> you could just use two reasonable droids and you would save more than t half the price of this. I'm sorry, I'm the Empire, and I will hear none of that. <laughs> well, anyway, this thing just kind of shows up to Han and slices him open and puts a bunch of bone knitting tools inside of his ribs and legs and so on so that he, his bone uh, fractures will heal up. And then he goes off and does worse stuff to Chewbacca. Yeah. Now he passes out from all of this. And when he wakes up, he is in a cell with a dead, rotted rancor. Uh, yeah. Chewie's in there too. And they're in basically a room big enough to hold a rancor at Basically, they're in the Rancor pit from Return, like to the point where even though the Rancor in there is dead, it's still like, oh, there's grates on the ceiling and there's bones and torn apart flesh everywhere. So it's basically just the Jedi room again. Yeah, the uh, <laughs> the thing about this where they were like, oh, yeah, the Kessel prison was more like a zoo than anything. They'd put anything down here. I'm like, why would you transport a Rancor? to Kessel in order to hold it. Like, <laughs> that feels really unnecessary. I mean, I guess Han, during this chapter, will actually mention Courtship of Princess Leia by the title of the book. Oh, yeah. Ah, I've seen several Rancor before, not only at Jabba's, but also uh, when I was courting Princess Leia on uh, Dathomir. <laughs> Also, during my adventure of the courtship of Princess Leia and the haunted lighthouse. <laughs> but yeah, he actually name drops the entire title of courtship, uh, which is weird because his first thing is to, to get scared by the mummified rancor and describe it as half crab, half arachnid. Yeah, when he started it, he hadn't said that it was a rancor yet. He was just like, oh, there's this disgusting rotted corpse over there that looks half crab, half arachnid, and I was like, fuck, that's rad. What is that yeah, thing? I think it's a Garthim. One of those big <laughs> clattery Garthim from Dark Crystal died in the corner. And then it's just a Rancor, and I'm like, that is neither crab or spider-like. Yeah, I guess maybe the mummification process made it very bony and clawy, and that's what that's what did that. But eventually he's like, wait a minute, this room smells like dead Rancor. There's a mummified Rancor in here, and all the floor is covered in Rancor parts. And I know Han knows, because he's been on the Courtship of Princess Leia adventure, that Rancor are somewhat sentient. Somewhat. Uh, uh, 
somewhat like not super sentient, not enough that you have to like the one that, that attacked Luke got murdered without any kind of qualms on Luke's part because it was just sort of a big cave monster. I think only the Dathomir ones are like sentient in any kind of way. But you're right. Why would you if people don't know the thing is sentient, they basically have like a T-Rex and they're like, well, we got to put this thing in T-Rex jail. Yes, T-Rex jail is on the other side of the galaxy near a bunch of black holes. I know, but the system says we got to send him to see a mean doctor and then lock him in T-Rex jail. It's so weird. Like, (laughs) yeah, we should take this giant monster and instead of either killing it or putting it somewhere where we would actually use it for something let's build a special room for it on our mining slave planet. Like what, what is why? Well, they have to put it in cold storage in case the planet is threatened by Mecha rancor. (laughs) Let them fight. (laughs) Yeah. And then he pops out and he's like, I am rancor friend to all children. Halt. I am rancor halt. I am rancor. Uh, die, Spider-Man, die, Spider-Man. Anyway, Skink Snacks shows up and is like, hey, I'm going to take you to Morith Duel and he's going to he's going to torture you up something proper so we can find out why you're really here. I like that Han to this point still is like, great, that sounds good. I am technically a diplomat on I'm here with papers and everything. I'm not here to do any crime stuff. Uh, Morth doesn't have any kind of reason to be mad at me. This all sounds good. Yeah, he's like, sure, great. You can go ahead and question me. I will immediately tell you the truth. Uh, And he does, Han has a little flashback here to what happened when he made the famous Kessel Run where he had to dump his cargo. And, you know, he's like, oh, someone tipped me off uh, or tipped off the Empire to me trying to go... uh, make the spice run. So I had to dump my, my spice. And when I went back for it, I got chased off by the empire again. So the empire was there based on someone's tip off collecting the spice. But anyway, Morth didn't do that because it, it basically, he's just like, Morth shouldn't have any particular reason to be mad at me. I don't understand what the problem is here. Let's go ahead. And he gets dragged off to Morth. Yeah. Now, <laughs> apparently Morth, has uh become a paranoid like just scared little man in his time since han has seen him because when han finally gets there morith has like one of his eyes is all like destroyed and milky and the other one is mostly just sort of an old-fashioned whirly gig robotic eye Mm-hmm. Also, Morith for uh, is not human. Uh, we get a description of him earlier in the scene where the where Han's still in the crashed Falcon, where he describes him as froggy or Betrachian. Uh, yeah, but at because... that point, it can still just be that he's a wide mouthed human. Oh no, he is straight up a frog person because you know he is from the race Ribbit. Get it, Ribbit, Ribbit, uh frog people. Yeah. Yeah. They live on the same planet as the bat people, Rygars. <laughs> but yeah, he's a Rybit, uh, and he's a frogman, and he is very happy to see Han because he plans to torture information out of Han. Yay. Yeah. He's and he is so angry at Han because he blames him for all of the troubles that he has had 
because he was like, oh, when you dumped your spice like a coward, Jabba was pissed at me and then took a contract out on my life for some reason. And then he pled to Jabba enough that Jabba took his eyes or his eye instead of his entire life. And he's he's uh, Morith has never forgiven Han for the loss of his eye. Uh, now, the fact that Jabba went cr- Jabba shouldn't be blaming the guy who's his spice supplier in a situation like this. He he did already blame Han. You don't blame the spice supplier because you're going to go kill your supply of spice. Yeah, it's especially like what happened. Oh, the spice supplier fulfilled their part of the job, gave the specified product to the person who was a courier. The courier lost it. Like, what is your problem? Well, this is the standard problem in Star Wars, which is that every criminal is stupid and murderous, like, to an unreasonable degree. Yeah, so he sent assassins out after him, and that's why there was an entire uprising on the planet, is because apparently Jabba's people were so embedded in the, like... Uh, Imperials and the workers on the like prison and whatnot that he had to stage a revolt in order to make sure that he would survive. Mm-hmm. Luckily, he had enough people under his personal payment to kind of win and take over the planet. And then he immediately installed Skinksnecks as his number two. Yeah, and he was like, and then I just shut down everything we were like nobody comes over here we're not dealing with the empire we're not dealing with anyone else i am paranoid that if anybody comes over here they're gonna try and kill me so he just became incredibly isolated and scared of everything right so he basically immediately launches into a why are you here han have you come to spy on us to make us easier to take over you thought your old criminal connections would be willing to talk to you and you just fool us and he's like no no i'm an actual diplomat i have papers i am a real diplomat with a real diplomat plan tell me when the new republic ships will be here to try and take over the planet he's like what no they won't be i Why would you think that I was here to get information before a fleet showed up? Wouldn't we just send the fleet? What could you possibly do against the Alliance fleet? Like, and also, if I was here to spy on you, why would I broadcast to you that I am here? Yeah, yeah, none of this makes any sense, but... Basically, Morith is like, well, I'll get the information I need. And then he unlocks a drawer to get a box that he unlocks. And inside that box is a key that he uses to unlock another box. And that's where he's keeping his magic drugs. Yes, he has glitter stim, which is spice in a super concentrated form. And it makes you psychic. So he's like, I'll just take the answers I want from your head. Yeah, I kind of like the imagery of a big frog alien eating, like, spark candy that makes his mouth into, like, a lightning-y, beamy area. It sounds very much like a thing that would happen in a Don Bluth cartoon. Cool. Uh, but, yeah, he, he eats enough glitter stim to become briefly psychic, and Han's like, hey, just so you know, when you go in there, you're going to find out I'm telling the truth. Then what are you going to do? And that is exactly what happens. Yeah, and Morth is like, oh, fuck, oh, no, oh, no, oh, fuck. <laughs> Oh shit, we completely, fu- we have fucked up. We are doomed. We fucked up. And then he gets 
briefly happy again because he's like, wait a minute, you never had a chance to warn anybody. We'll just bury you in the spice mines. And also, we'll pretend like your ship got lost in the black holes. Yeah, we'll just get rid of your ship. We'll scrub any info of you being here. We'll tell anyone who saw you that they didn't. And we'll just pretend you never made it here. And then uh, if the Republic comes calling, we'll just be like, nope, never seen him. Okay, and at this point, I should probably shoot you to make sure there's absolutely no loose ends. But instead, how do you feel about about five chapters from now affecting a daring escape from my spice mines? <laughs> Good. Great. Let's get you in there. <laughs> I mean, I was going to say it's kind of dumb that he's like, yeah, but they have you know, a Jedi that could come in and be like, yeah, no, you're lying. But I don't think he probably even knows that at this point, given how insular he has been. Yeah, absolutely. Um, But ultimately, he even gloats about it. He's like, well, at this point, I should probably just kill you because why leave loose ends dangling around? But you owe me, Solo. You owe me for for my eye forever. Yeah, I'm going to send you to go mine spice. So you can the pay back part some of, of the debt. Yeah, and he sends them to the worst part of the spice mining, the deepest mine where people constantly die for some reason. Yeah, we're going to send you to the part where people are always dying and it's really not efficient to mine there. So you can solve the mystery of the energy spiders that live here. <laughs> I didn't say that yet because that's supposed to be a secret still. Anyway, cut to Luke. Well, actually, cut to the droids, but, you know, screw the droids. R2 and C-3PO are just scouring an old Imperial database for locations of possible Jedi. Yeah. When Luke comes in, he's like, have you found any? No. Are well, you good, winning, I son? Have. <laughs> you found any Jedi? No, Master Luke, we have found no Jedi. Just reams and reams of the Emperor's pawn. <laughs> so much. Just gigaflops of pawn in here. He was surprisingly into wet t-shirt contests. (laughs) It's pretty much entirely wet t-shirt contests, usually at motorcycle rallies. Mm -hmm. Uh, But but Luke's like, well, good news. I already have two locations, so goodbye. And he has to tell R2, no, you're not coming with me. Yeah, he's like, no, I'm not taking the X-Wing, and I need you to keep looking through the files. So I'm going to take, like, an actual ship in case I find someone there so I can bring them back. So where's he heading? Well, he tells us here. That's the whole point of this conversation. He's first going to head to the volcanic asteroid mining planet of Eol Shah, uh, which is just Sheol in Pig Latin. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, And then he's also going to head to uh, Bespin to meet with someone who's not in Cloud City, but is near Cloud City. Yeah, you know, Cloud City adjacent. The, yeah. s- the suburbs I mean, of Cloud City. In our in our history with the bonus content that we do here at Expounded Universe, we have learned that there's a lot of floating platforms on Bespin, including one that's like an Ugnot kingdom r- ruled by an Ugnot queen named Queen Ugnoticus. <laughs> uh, so, you guys so ever think knows? maybe Star Wars is dumb? <laughs> I mean, there's a chance it might be a little on the silly side. I, I don't want to say one way or the other. Hmm. Yeah. So, uh, so but lo- luckily we don't have to go to Bespin yet. No, he heads to Ail Shaw and it is a basically a failed mining attempt. 
There's a yes. planet near a nebula, and the idea was, okay, we're going to send ships out into the nebula to, like, collect all their gases, and then we're going to take all the, like, real good, rare minerals and whatnot and render everything down and then actually sell those off to people. Yeah, and, and the plan for how to do this was they were going to use big ramjet scoopy spaceships to fly through the nebula, uh, but apparently... They set up a whole colony and a whole mining fleet and then realized that not only was the ramjet technology not there yet, but also there's no good gas out here. This is a shitty nebula. Yeah, they were like, oh, ramjet uh, ships are super expensive. And also this nebula has nothing in it that is worth mining. And yeah, you'd I keep think wondering someone would have gone out there to test that. Yeah, where's the survey team? Uh, also, they, they set up a the colony on the only nearby, even sort of inhabitable planet. Uh, Ael Shah is this little tiny spit of ultra-volcanic nothing. It's basically Io, uh, where there's never not volcanic, terrifying volcanic activity and landslides and shit like that happening. And it's doomed. There's a, It's got a moon the half the size of the planet itself in an unstable orbit, which will eventually smash into the planet and kill everybody. Yeah, and that's part of why it's got all of the, like eruptions and geysers and earthquakes and whatnot that it does is the moon is getting very close to this planet at this point. Apparently a, uh, an Imperial sur uh, surveying team or sociology group came out here and investigated a few years ago. And because they were the empire, they were like, eh, fuck them. They'll just die out here. We don't need them for anything. Well, yeah, and they the, moved along. A, it was a sociologist came out and was like, Oh, Hey, uh, you kind of got forgotten about after this entire project failed. And then they came back and were like, hey, uh, I recommend we save these people. And then, you know, the entire war that has been this last several books happened. Yeah. And they just kind of forgot that these people were here. Yeah, exactly. And, you know, I, I wouldn't put it past it for the uh, the sociologist in question to have once again just been mammon hool. <laughs> And he came out here and he was like, ah, these people are worthless. I recommend we let them die. And also that I scare them by being a monster. <laughs> I recommend monsters, if at all possible. <laughs> Can I leave these shitty kids here? All right, kids, I got to go do some stuff. I'm going to leave you in the capable hands of this drooling monster. Be careful. There's a volcano. Bye. <laughs> um, well... We we learn all these horrible things about the planet because R2 and C-3PO look the planet up while uh, Luke is flying out there. But then, in a bit of much appreciated brevity, we just cut to Luke getting to the planet. Yeah, good for him. Yeah, he uh, when he lands, he's like, okay, now to make my way towards the main establishment of people. And oh, shit, I'm in the middle of a geyser field and they are all erupting at once. Yeah, so he's perfectly fine, of course, because he just pulls his cloak up and uses the force to keep the hot water and sulfur and crap off him, and he takes shallow breaths. Uh, he gets, he makes his way to a couple of dudes standing outside the uh, the settlement, and it's like, "Hi, are either of you Gantoris? Because that's the name of the dude he's looking for." And they're like, and they're "No, like, Gantoris is uh, off at the like ravine where we had a cave in and." They're trying to help some trapped kids. Mm-hmm. Uh, and Luke is immediately like, ah, cap trapped kids, you say? 
take me to them that I might help. Yeah, the guy's uh, just like, all right. I mean, yeah, sure. I don't know why That's... the two of us were still here in town when everyone else was going to help, but all right, sure. I mean, good news. That's where Gantoris is. Uh, anyway, Gantoris, uh, for for better or worse, is strongly coded as a Native American. Uh, he he's given the the uh, the Roman nose the long black hair that's that's tied off in a braid on one side of his head, the basically the facial features and so on, and also the way of speaking. Huh. Uh, I did not pick is, up on that at all. You didn't? Well, Google up a picture of him and you can see for yourself. All right. Uh, and he's out there being, you know, a heroic guy trying his best to help save the kids that are trapped in the, the cave-in. Uh, directing everybody and lifting rocks out of the way and what have you, but then Luke just sort of runs up and is like, "Hey, I'm I'm a Jedi. Let's do this!" and just starts flinging rocks everywhere. Yeah, he's like, "Hello, I am a wizard." And boulders go flying. They manage to find the young girl who was there. Her arm was crushed, but she is at least alive. Sadly, uh, Zach was not as fortunate, and the little boy was crushed <laughs> to death. And that's the end of Zach and Tash Aranda, except that Tash only lost an arm. The end. Yeah, that's it. That's why we don't need to keep doing the Galaxy of Fear books. It turns out they went to Aleshaw and got mostly fucked up by a cave-in. They got killed off screen. And then, because he was so sad about it, uh, Mammon Hull decided to start a new life on Coruscant, where he fell in love with a mutant rat lady. <laughs> and that's the whole story. And now you know the rest of the story. Mm-hmm. Well, when Luke's done rescue, helping to rescue the girl, uh, one of the two men that he was talking to at the beginning, a fellow by the name of Warther, uh, is like, Hey, Gantoris, this guy's here to talk to you. And Gantoris is just like, I know. I have had a vision of you. You are here to bring doom upon me. Get thee hence, demon. A dark man will visit me, and then I will fall to no good. You are a demon. I boo the nacho. <laughs> I boo the nacho as his father. Uh, but ultimately, Gantoris is the kind of person who can see visions, and I don't remember any of this book, John. Skinksnex is not a name I was familiar with. Heck, I had forgotten who Gantoris is. But can I go ahead and say that if someone proclaims a vision that Luke is a dark man in Chapter 3, it's because there's actually a real dark man who's going to show up later? Hmm, hmm. I mean, but, maybe I'm going to say a hundred percent, a hundred percent that the prophecy was true because every prophecy is always true, but it's always misinterpreted the first time as well. Oh no. Mm hmm. Well, uh, Luke is like, Hey, I'm not a dark man here to tempt you. I want to teach you how to be a Jedi. Also, I've had several run-ins with the dark side. Hi, I'm Luke Skywalker. <laughs> And uh, he's like, look, I'll do whatever it takes to earn your trust. So, you know, you want to imprison me? You want to, you know, question me? Whatever you want to do. Like, I'm not going to resist or nothing. I just want to be able to talk to you. Just please don't throw me in that briar patch. <laughs> uh. Well, basically, that's what Gantoris does. He's like, ah, you want me to take you prisoner? Very well. Take the Dark Man prisoner. We will find out why you are here. And then that's the end of this episode. Yay! <laughs> no, you're absolutely right from the very beginning here, John. This book has a boring intro section. I mean, to be fair, it sets a lot of stuff up right away. Like, we know 
that Han's doing a prison escape and that Luke is on a Jedi hunt and that Leia's going to hang around in a par- in her apartment feeling rich sorry for herself. Yeah, the the issue I have reading this is in the first 5 chapters I was like, "Boy, if you had cut out everything but the Han stuff, you would have a very interesting focused book right now." Like, "Oh yeah, this book's committing that cardinal Star Wars novel sin of saying that all three of the main characters need to have a story, and also it needs to be three different stories. Yeah, instead of having it be like, yeah, they're on an adventure that, you know, involves each other. Instead, we have to just be like, nope, uh, it's three different stories, and probably two out of the three are going to be just pointless and boring. Yeah. I mean, ultimately, the Luke story is super important for this series, uh, because he's going to have to go find a bunch more Jedi, like... Tiania and Kip Duron and Dorsk 81. And that's the only ones I can remember. Uh, the... But the Han story is the interesting one. And honestly, if this book had been ca- called Han Solo and the Minds of Kessel. Yeah, no, because his is actually like, ooh, wow, a cool space adventure where he's, you know, he's in a rough spot and he's got to try and get out of it. And what's going to happen? And you're like, oh, this is a neat story. Well, it's got and, intrigue and shit, too. I mean, I love that it immediately introduces two people that Han knew, which allows us to have kind of a, you know, a Han's running dialogue about or monologue about how the people he knows are going to act and so on. It It's going to be a cool story, I hope. Yeah. Whereas, you know, obviously the Leia stuff is just boring and who gives a shit. And the Luke stuff, you know... Wandering around talking to people, I'm like, sure, maybe, I guess, but I just don't, <laughs> don't care. Well, I can tell you that that my dim recollection is that most of the early Luke parts of this book are, are just repeats of what we're seeing here. He convinces Gantoris to go with him, and then he goes to another place, and he finds another gruff guy who's like, I don't want to leave the place I'm at. You're going to have to spend a whole chapter convincing me. Yeah. That's the problem, is the second I saw, like, the end of the chapter where it was like, and now you'll have to come with me, I was like, oh good, we're going to have an entire bit where he has to prove that he's trustworthy and earn this guy's respect, and then he's going to have to do this, like, four more times. Yeah, and you know it's going to be some nonsense involving lava, because he's on a volcano planet. Oh, yeah. They're going to be like, you have to go stand on that lava thing and sing Wooly Bully. (laughs) I I predicted that the Prince of Plenty would visit me. Lol. Uh, Anyway. uh, And then I think the Leia story is... I mean, we didn't mention it, but she does note that that her two-year-old kids are coming to visit her soon. Ah, good. The thing I wanted out of Star Wars. A a mom with too much money who will see children. (laughs) I mean, presumably there's adventure there. I don't know what it is. I, and I do know that they always write the uh, the solo kids as being like three years older than they are. Oh, yeah. Well, they were like, oh, yes, uh, during the early years, it's so dangerous because maybe they would have some sort of dark side stuff. But they've learned to control things now. And I'm like, they are, too. If they know how to use force <laughs> powers, everyone is boned. Yeah. Have you been I around know. a two-year-old? <laughs> yes, I have one right now. And... I, the the worst thing in the world would be for her to have force powers. Yeah. 
She would just use them to break the fridge because she knows there's cherries in there. <laughs> okay, well, there you have it. That's the that's most of the intro out of the way. I think we've got the stage set for adventure. Yay! And speaking of setting the stage, let me tell you all about another show that you can buy for $2. <laughs> $2. It's not even setting the stage at all. That was a terrible segue. <laughs> Please, won't you join us over at patreon.com slash system mastery, where for the $2 level, you unlock our bonus content, the expanded, expounded universe, where we go dive around in Wikipedia and find just some dumb nonsense to talk about. The silliest crap we can find delivers hot and fresh to your ears at the $2 level. It'll also unlock the system mastery bonuses. So you really, at the $2 level, you're getting like six shows a month. It's a damn good deal. Hell yes. So come on down. That's at patreon.com slash system mastery. Help us get to that unlikely goal that we're so close to right now where we buy a pig. I don't know why we set that as the goal, but we did and we shouldn't have. And here we are. Give me the pig. <laughs> we want to buy a pig what we don't want is any more emails about how micro pigs are not a thing that exists we know we never said micro pig we said we're getting a pig i'm getting a hog we're getting a macro pig <laughs> we're getting a pig so big i can ride it into town he's a big pig you can be a big pig too by going to our patreon <sighs> god Good. John. Thank you. John. Thank you. John. John, say oi. You got to be the person who says oi. <laughs> you got to be the guy that says oi. <laughs> I need you to Nathan Lane this for me, buddy. You got to <laughs> Nathan Lane this one for the team. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Thank you so much for listening. We'll see you over at the Patreon for the bonus content. And until such time as we do, I've been Elon Sleazebagiano and I. Wait. <laughs> Until such time as we see you over on the Patreon, I've been Elon Sleaze Bagiano. And I'm going to rub your nub. Nub. <laughs>